presenting part three of the full cast audiobook presentation of Dominion, read by the author. Nine. I awake standing upright in the dark. A dim red light shines above me, barely bright enough to make a difference. I'm in a room, I think. I don't see much to go by. Not to mention my eyes feel nearly swollen shut, further hampering my vision. I try to scratch an itch on my nose, but realize my arms are fastened down to a wall. No, not a wall. A stretcher? I can't exactly tell. So is one of my feet. Why can't I feel the other one? Oh, shit. My confrontation with Superbia comes back to me. The bastard shot off my leg. Whoever put me here didn't bother securing my stump. I look down, groaning at the sight of it, and wince from sharp pains caused by even the slightest movement. My entire body feels like it's been fed through a meat grinder and scotch tape back together. Oh, I've never had a worse headache. And I don't even want to know what my ass looks like. Why am I here? The last thing I remember is lying on the ground while Superbia got his head eaten off by Tick. Tick! I crane my neck from side to side looking for her. But it's no use. It's too damn dark and it hurts to move. I try calling to her. Tick! I croak. My throat feels dry and cracked. No response. God damn it! Let me get this straight. The sudden voice sends a jolt of fright through me. It's deep and female, with a strong undertone of don't fuck with me. I strain to see, but it's too dark. It continues. An illegal alien from a shithole planet mysteriously infiltrates the most secure and advanced orbital station in the history of the universe, signs up for the Colosseum, and somehow manages to behead its namesake. So tell me, how did an unremarkable shit-stain like you pull off what others have failed to achieve for centuries? I don't answer. She snaps. Answer me! I'm hit with an electric shock! I say, wincing. If each part of my body wasn't strapped in, it would have flattened me. My friend zapped me with a taser once that she used to keep in her purse. It feels just like that, which sucks the big one. So I try to avoid it happening again. No, please! An imposing form steps out of the darkness. He's vaguely human in shape, towering a good two feet above me. When I look up, I instantly regret it. I don't want to do this. I think with childlike fear, as if wishing hard enough will get me off this ride. But I should know better by now. There's no stopping this one. Look at me, she says. I hesitate and pay for it with another jolt. I hiss with pain, feeling my body go limp in the restraints. The strap around my chest keeps the one around my neck from choking me. Trembling, I look up into the heartless eyes of a shark. Even in the dark, I can make out her razor-sharp teeth inside her massive jaws. She's dressed in black and red body armor, like she's head of an elite military unit. It's so hard to maintain eye contact. I've always had a fear of sharks. 
Whoever came up with Shark Week is a psychopath and needs to be tarred and feathered. I make a point of not visiting anyone that week. Too many shark-loving weirdos out there. I'm only gonna ask once more, she says. Who are you working for? Hmm? Who helped you kill one of the members of the firm? I swear, no one put me up to it, I say. She snaps her jaws an inch away from my face, making me flinch. Lies! It's, it's not that simple, I say. Then why don't you start making things real clear for me? I, I, I was abducted. I never asked to be here. Everything that's happened since I arrived is not my fault. I'm a victim. The shark-headed bruiser huffs a laugh. Then she leans in, breathing deeply, taking in my scent. When finished, she crosses her arms. More lies. I'm hit with another electric shock. In this condition, the pain is indescribable. Fuck. I sob. (laughs) It's the truth. She raises a gauntleted hand and snaps two of her four fingers together. A new red light illuminates another stretcher 20 feet across the room. Strapped to it is a small black shape, now the size of a toddler. A black helmet covers its head. Tick, I say. What did you do to her? I'm surprised by how much this affects me. I've only known her for less than a day, and she totally hijacked my body. Not to mention the tragedy she turned my ass into. But despite all that, I feel oddly bonded to her. After all, I never would have survived the arena without her. She was found guilty of conspiring against the firm and has been sentenced accordingly, the shark says. She pauses for effect, then adds, Your time is coming. What does that mean? I ask, worried. Tick is completely inert. I have no idea how they managed to subdue her. But it means these guys know what they're doing. I have a sinking feeling I'm not getting out of this one. She continues. Upon investigation, it was discovered Sabir's power armor had been tampered with prior to the competition. A virus was planted in the suit's AI, causing it to shut down on command. Convenient, it just so happened to shut down against the last man standing, isn't it? I stutter, wanting to explain she has it all wrong. You had your chance! She yells, the intensity shaking me. Now you will listen to me! I stare, petrified into silence, afraid she'll bite my head off. She continues. First Atayo, now Superbeer. Two firm members in two weeks. There's a conspiracy here, and I'm getting to the bottom of it. If I have to tear you to pieces to get there, (laughs) then you better fucking believe I'll- That'll do, Ira, a new voice says. It's smooth and powerful, with an edge that commands respect. Without question, Sharkface takes a step back. A red holographic image of a dragon-headed man, dressed in business attire, appears out of thin air and steps in to face me. Jack, is it? He says. You must understand that extreme circumstances require extreme measures. Profits are at risk. The firm takes great measures to protect its assets. Two valuable members have been murdered. It will wreak havoc on the economy. That will not do. 
Those responsible must be held to account. He turns and walks away, turning back once he's halfway between me and Tick, raising a hand to signal something. Suddenly, ceiling lights illuminate my surroundings, momentarily blinding me. Rows of futuristic vertical beds line both sides of the room, like the ones in the movies that astronauts sleep inside of when traveling great distances. Each one is occupied, a black helmet covering the heads of the prone occupants. My heart rate rises. I don't like the looks of this. What the fuck is this place? I say. Have they been lobotomized? He hushes me. If what you're telling us is the truth, then you have nothing to fear. He nods to Ira, who takes a step toward me. Wait, wait! I say, spilling my guts out of fear. I, I don't know anything about a conspiracy. I was abducted. There was a fish, an ass leech, a robotic dominatrix, a talking corgi who turned out to be a frog person. Uh, the mention of the frog person makes Ira's hand pause an inch away from the helmet hovering above my head. The man with the dragon features cuts me off. Tell us more about this frog person. He says, hope blossoms. Uh, uh, well, uh, there was this corgi named Poppy. She was a Superbia's uh, personal assistant. I think about how she must have stolen Mendax off my wrist and decide not to share that bit of information, just in case. I, I, I saw her change into a frog before I blacked out. And now that I think of it, I, I did see her hanging around Superbia's power armor during his peanut butter orgy. M maybe she screwed with it. Yeah, see? It's gotta be her. I'm a victim of circumstance. Wrong place, wrong time. I don't care about throwing her under the bus. Fuck her. That frog bitch set me up and kidnapped Mendax. I just need to figure out why. How did she know what the wristwatch was about? I'm struck again by how much I care about Mendax's fate. Like Tick, I barely know him. And if it wasn't for his sabotaging the teleporter, then I wouldn't be here. Actually, I wouldn't be anywhere because I'd be dead. Does a small, hidden part of me appreciate his saving my life, despite subjecting me to all this pain? All I know is it doesn't feel good leaving anyone behind. If there's one thing I know about myself, is I'm not about that. Do you suspect the Union has something to do with this, Averis? Ira asks. It certainly calls for looking into, he says, appearing deep in thought. Yes quite interesting then nods you may proceed see me at the suite once you're finished here i told you what i know i say doesn't that count for something can't you cut me some slack you were seen killing a member of the firm it would be bad business to let it go unpunished what sort of example would i be setting if we let you go free besides he says tapping the side of his head it wouldn't hurt to take a look around inside. As I said, if you're not hiding anything from us, you have nothing to fear. He raises a hand, his expression darkening. If we cross paths again, know it will be to my great displeasure. He lowers his hand and vanishes, the holographic image blinking out. Fuck. Ira grins wickedly her shark teeth gleaming in sinister light. She pulls the helmet over my head 
and I'm plunged into darkness. What's gonna happen? Will it hurt? I ask, resigned to my fate, but still afraid of the pain, even after all I've been through. She laughs darkly. <laughs> Let's just say it's game over for you. <laughs> you sure we can't talk this over a nice seafood dinner? I ain't Lux. She tightens my restraints a little more than necessary. Besides, I'm allergic. Of course, I think. Will I ever catch a break? I hear electronics whir to life, followed by a hiss of air. The inside of my helmet begins to pulse with a sinister red glow. A digital voice announces a countdown. Pod 361 initiating. Subject dive commencing in 3, 2, 1. I take a deep breath, bracing myself for the unknown. Begin. 10. <gasps> I tear the helmet from my head and throw it to the floor. I struggle to breathe, chest heaving like I'm recovering from a panic attack. Oh my god. Jack, are you alright? I turn to look into the face of my sister. Her eyes are, are knit with worry. Oh, I'm in my house. We're sitting on my couch. Through the window, I see a clear blue sky. And the same stupid flamingo planted in the yard across the street. I'm home. I fumble with my phone and check the date. August 20th, 2022. The same day I was going to commit suicide. Before I was abducted. My sister places a soothing hand on my shoulder. The same way she always did growing up. I was an anxious kid. My mother once said she only took her anger out on me because I was the boy. Despite her reasoning, I was glad my little sister never had to experience it. I felt this touch of hers after every one of the beatings. I mightn't have survived without it. I grab hold of my sister and squeeze her in a bear hug. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, Sarah. I'm so fucking sorry. I'm sorry. She hugs me back tightly. It's okay. She says, I'm here. It's just you and me. I got you. After a long moment of holding each other and allowing me to cry on her shoulder, I pull back and wipe my eyes. I take another look around. Why is she here? Why don't I remember her coming over? And why did I have that helmet on my head? What's going on? I ask. I thought you were bringing Chris to a ball game today. She picks up the black helmet from the floor, places it on the coffee table, and looks at it with concern. You don't remember? Maybe this isn't such a good idea. This must be one of the side effects listed on the box. What are you talking about? Jesse took Chris to today's game. I called you this morning, remember? Jesse got him this new... Virtual reality headset that's supposed to simulate an alien abduction. He said a friend from work got a couple from a startup company handing out promotional kits. I called and asked if he wouldn't mind testing it out before we gave it to him for his 12th birthday next week. You know, since we don't know much about it. You've always been better at this stuff than I am. 
I grasped her firmly by the shoulders, looking directly into her eyes. You cannot give this to Chris, I say. Why? What happened? Sarah, promise me. Promise you'll give it back to whoever gave it to you or throw it in the trash. I don't care. But don't let Chris anywhere near this torture device. Okay. I promise. She says, placing a reassuring hand on my shoulder. I'll make Jesse take it back. He won't like it, but I trust you. Just tell me what happened in there. A lump forms in my throat. I can't believe I'm here. It was only a few days ago, but it feels like an eternity. I had planned to shoot myself that night. But in reality, if I really am back home, I plan to do it tonight. I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to die. It's sort of ironic, but after the hell that helmet put me through, I want to live. I feel like I've been given a second chance, a new lease on life, a reason to try again. It was horrible, I say, choosing to admit the attempted suicide. I was abducted by a fish-faced alien. Sarah laughs. <laughs> you hate fish. It looked like a reverse mermaid. It was gross. I recount my experience inside the simulation, which she informs me lasted less than five minutes on her side. I leave out the less flattering details and how much pain and mental anguish I experienced. She doesn't need to know about any of that. I don't want her to feel more guilty than she already does. If what she says is true, and I have no reason not to believe her, then I don't doubt I would have agreed to test it out. I just wish I would have known what I was getting myself into. Jack. She says. I had no idea it would be like that. I'm so sorry. I, I never would have asked had I known. Don't worry about it, I say, sighing with genuine relief now that it's all over. Man, tech these days is no joke. Gaming sure evolved since having to blow into our old Nintendo cartridges. The world inside this device was indistinguishable from reality. It felt so real. Well, thanks for being our guinea pig. Now to think of a new gift idea for Chris. She gets up from the couch. Sorry, I'd better use your bathroom before heading out. Got the squirts? Ew! No, I, I gotta pee, you sicko. <laughs> That's what you said the last time you came over, I say, laughing. And don't forget to freshen up the place when you're finished. My gas mask is being borrowed out. You're so gross. She says, shutting the door. Seconds later, I hear water running from the sink. I laugh. God damn, it feels so good to laugh again. I'm back! My leg is fine, I feel in good health, and my butthole feels as tight as ever. I exhale a deep, shaky sigh of relief. My eyes gravitate toward the helmet resting on my coffee table like an omen of misery. I pick up the box it came in sitting next to it and look it over. Dominion is written across the front in big bold letters. The picture is of a colossal sinister space station with an evil red eye in its center. It's made of the same metal I saw the moment I arrived in front of the Dominion. My skin crawls from the memory. I flip the box over and read the description on the back. Think you have what it takes to survive an alien abduction? Enter a state-of-the-art virtual reality experience tailored to release your full potential.
Use your wits to negotiate, cooperate, and or obliterate your way through the Dominion. Something is written beneath it in small letters. Caution. Possible side effects may include nausea, short-term memory loss, tinnitus, temporary blindness, hair loss, and or in rare cases, Parkinson's disease. Jesus Christ, I say. I put this on my head? How could anyone risk this on their kids? The name FirmTech is written along the bottom right corner next to a company logo of seven interlocked circles. I've never heard of them. Makes sense seeing that they're still a startup. I make a mental note to look deeper into their work. A setup with this kind of technology must have articles published about them online somewhere. I hear the bathroom tap being turned off, and Sarah opens the door while drying her hands off with a towel. Oh, I almost forgot, she says. Mom is spending the week with us. She wanted me to tell you she misses you and hopes you'll visit. Hard pass, I say. <laughs> Figures. She grins and shrugs, packing the helmet away and moving to put on her shoes. Oh, don't give me that. I don't know why you ever bother asking. You know what she was like. It's been more than five years since you last spoke to her. And what a blissful five years it has been. I'm sorry, Sarah. If only I could be as tender-hearted as you. I'm just not ready yet. I get it. I just want you to stop hurting, that's all. We hug. I hold her a moment longer than usual. Don't let Jessie walk all over you, I say, pulling away. You can't give in if he throws a fit. Not with this. That device is meant only for people with a penchant for punishment. She shakes her head. You know what Jessie's like. Yeah, I think he's an asshole, and you can do better. I know, I say. Just stand firm, please. I will, I promise. She smiles, and it nearly undoes me. If I were to go ahead with tonight's original plan, I'd never get to see that smile again. I watch her car drive away down the street until it's out of sight. The days leading up to my nephew's 12th birthday were spent searching up anything I could find on FirmTech during my downtime. I encounter nothing but dead ends. Internet searches come up without any hits, no phone number to speak of, and the only email address attached to them returns each message as undeliverable. I visit every video game store, novelty, and tech shop in the city, and no one seems to have heard about them. It's like they don't exist. At one point, I even considered employing a private investigator. And any attempt to pry information out of Jesse has been fruitless. He refuses to give up his source. Makes him feel connected. Asshole. I've experienced two new side effects since removing the helmet. Tinnitus and hair loss. Which, for me, is a big deal. I've always said I'd rather die than go bald. But here I am, still kicking. I'm browsing the usual Reddit virtual reality subforums for what feels like the hundredth time when the phone rings. Caller ID says it's Sarah. I answer. Pizza Hut, what can I get you? I say. Trust your crust. A young voice says. <laughs> Not a chance. I laugh. Hey, bud. Happy birthday. I was going to give you a call, but I figured your lazy ass would still be in bed. You kidding me? Chris says. Jesse's been amping me up all week over this unbelievable gift he scored me. I opened it this morning. It's a freaking virtual reality helmet. Can you believe it? I had to call and tell you. Mom, Jesse, and Grandma are going to watch me play it. 
My stomach twists and blood runs cold in my veins. My legs go numb. No, Chris, you can't, I say, panic rising. Please, don't use it. It's not safe. Hand the phone over to your mom, would you? After a pause, Sarah's on the phone. Jack, is everything all right? Don't give me that bullshit, I say, furious. I thought we agreed the helmet was a bad idea. You said Jesse would take it back. Jack, I'm sorry, but Jesse wouldn't listen. Says it would be crazy to give it back. He thinks Chris can handle it better than you did. I'm about to answer when I hear a gruff voice and the sound of my sister's protests. Is there a problem, Jack? Jesse says, taking the phone. Unless you want to put Chris through hell and back, I say, then you can't let him use that helmet. If you want to keep it for yourself, be my guest. But Chris isn't mature enough to process what goes on in there. Only five minutes was enough to give me PTSD. I think I'd know what my own kid is able to handle. Jesse, please listen. I have, and I've heard enough. Keep your nose out from where it doesn't belong. I'm his father, and I'll give him whatever I damn well please. He hangs up. Bastard! I growl. I put my shoes on and run out the door. I try calling back using my cell phone, but it's ignored. A lot of things go through my mind as I drive a frantic pace to my sister's house. Like why she had to marry such an asshole. How I'm gonna have to face my mother. And the psychological damage that stupid fucking helmet will cause Chris. When I think about taking Mendax, and despite knowing none of my experience was real, I feel a sense of regret. Like I failed them. It just goes to show how believable the simulation was. It leaves a lasting impact. And I'll be damned if it leaves a mark on my nephew. Frustrated, I throw my cell phone into the back seat. Every one of my calls are being ignored. Oh, and it'll take another ten minutes for me to get there. I hope I'm not too late. Sarah is waiting by the door as I arrive. She knows me too well. She knew I wouldn't leave matters alone and correctly predicted I'd show up. Her eyebrows are knit with concern, her expression begging me not to make a bad situation worse. Jack, don't. She says. It's Chris's birthday. You said you would take it back. I accuse halfway to her door. She's surprised by the tone of my voice. I've never spoken to her like this before. I instantly feel bad. I can't be this person with her. Not with her. You're blowing this out of proportion. She says. I shove my way past her into the house, not wanting to say something I'll regret. I can apologize for ignoring her later. I can't take back words I say in anger. Jack! She says, but I don't listen. I scan the room for Chris. He's not here. But who is standing in the living room with his arms crossed? And the look on his face expressing he's thrilled this is finally happening is Jesse, the walking penis wrinkle himself. And to the left of him, my mother stands by the kitchen entryway. For just a moment, I waver at the sight of her, a cold chill running through me. I hate that she has this power over me, the ability to summon the frightened child within. take a deep breath. Where's Chris? I say. Is he alright? Chris is fine, Jesse says. Why wouldn't he be? Jesse, I swear, if you let him put that thing on, I'll... 
He cuts me off. You'll do what? Walk into a man's home and kick his ass over his son's birthday present? Does that sound like something a sane person would do? For Christ's sake, Jackie. My mother says, that familiar look of bitter disappointment on her face. That helmet isn't safe for a kid like him, I say, ignoring her. What are you trying to say, that my boy's a pussy? Jesse says. I grit my teeth. I'm saying that no responsible father would risk their child's health on a device nobody knows anything about. I've experienced three of the six possible side effects since using it. Sounds like you're the pussy if you ask me. My son's got Hanson blood in him. None of those cowardly Bennett genes. Jesse! Sarah says sharply, still by the front door. I know exactly what he means. And look at Mom, who appears to agree with him. It hurts, but I can't exactly disagree either. Thanks, Dad. Fuck you, I say, stepping up to him, my hands balled into fists. Uncle Jack? My head snaps sideways to the hallway. It's Chris. He's standing inside the door to his room, clutching a black helmet in both hands. He looks at me like he doesn't understand what he's seeing. How could his uncle be threatening his dad? The betrayal in his eyes is like a kick to the gut. And then I'm punched in the face. I wasn't ready for it. Jesse sucker punched me just when Chris disarmed me. I toppled to the floor, smacking my head against the coffee table on my way down. The next few moments are a jumble of distant shouting and spinning images. None of it makes sense. I'm completely dazed. Someone yanks me by the collar of my shirt, sitting me upright. I think I'm gonna vomit. That can't be good. Isn't that a sign of a concussion? I must have cracked my head pretty hard. Stop it! I hear. Is that Sarah? Something dark is shoved in my face. Is this what you want? Jesse says. You're gonna come into my house and tell me what to do? I don't fucking think so. Sarah screams and tries to pull him away. I've never seen her so fierce. Is Chris crying? Or is that the tinnitus? My vision begins to clear, and I make out Jesse's hand holding the helmet in front of me. No! I think, fear gripping me. I try to shove him away, and the motion makes me want to puke. Having reached his limit, Jesse roughly shoves Sarah away. She trips and falls back onto the floor, but I think she's okay, just stunned. I fight back despite the nausea, but because of a possible brain injury, Jesse easily overpowers me. He holds my face in his hand, squeezing my cheeks hard. My eyes fall onto my mother. She never budges from her spot, just continues to stare at me with that same disappointed expression I've seen my whole life. Why do I have to be so weak? I've had a change of heart. Why don't you take it off my hands after all? Defenseless to stop him, I cry out as he slams the helmet onto my head casting me into darkness. 11. My eyes snap open. The black helmet falls from my head as I'm thrown to the floor by an explosion that rocks the world around me. I land on my chest, smacking the side of my face. I scream. My entire body feels like it's been given a haircut by Sweeney Todd. I have no idea what's going on. Where am I? 
Why am I in the middle of a blast zone? The last thing I remember is... Actually, I don't know. My memory feels misty. Like I'm coming out of a dream and can't make sense of my thoughts through the fog. Alarms, footsteps, and shouting echo through the chamber. The sound of blasters firing triggers a sense of urgency in me. The gaps in my memory can wait. I don't want to be a casualty of whatever's going on here. Moving is agony. But when I get up on my hands and knees, something doesn't feel right. I look at my right leg and nearly piss myself. What the fuck? I scream, horrified. Half my leg is gone. It's a stump. Cut off at the fucking knee. How? Wild-eyed, I look up and scan the rows of pods along the walls, just like the one I fell out of. And they're full of goddamn monsters. Why are they full of monsters? A memory is triggered when my eyes land on a small black and purple blob hooked into a machine directly across from me. I gave birth to that thing. Oh shit, Tick! Her name unleashes a flood of memories, ones I would rather never have remembered, of being abducted by aliens, spending days suffering in anguish aboard a colossal space station run by an evil corporation, and having my body stretched, disfigured, and maimed. Why am I here now? Why was I hooked into this machine? Superbia must have put me here. But did I lose the tournament? No, Tick bit off his head. That's right. I look down at the black helmet lying an arm's length away from me. Then some shark bit strapped you onto my head, I think. And then it all comes back to me. I'm in a goddamn simulation. Jesse, you son of a bitch! I'm gonna fucking kill you! With sudden panic, not wanting to be drawn into this madness again, I push through the pain and make a desperate lunge for the only way out of here that I know of. Another blast rocks the room and I fumble with the helmet. It rolls across the room to the foot of a firm droid holding its ground against invaders. It shoots into a wall of smoke caused by the explosions. I only now notice a scattered alien limb strewn about as a result. Struggling with my missing leg, I awkwardly scramble towards it. Through the smoke, a modestly dressed, bearded man with olive brown skin emerges, wielding a sword. The sight of another human surprises me. The firm droids lock onto their target and blast him with everything they have. The man holds the blade forward like a shield projecting a white energy barrier that absorbs each shot. Another bearded, olive-brown-skinned man leaps out from the smoke midair, screaming, and throws a spear that impales three firm droids to the floor. Unfortunately, to my horror, it also lands directly onto the helmet, destroying it. No! I shout, dismayed. I stare at the broken bits in shock. That was my way out! The only way back home that I know of. Thunder from dozens of footsteps enter from the other end of the room. I roll over. Ira is leading a charge against the intruders, heading straight in my direction. I'm going to be trampled to death if I don't get out of the way. Except, can I die? If this isn't real, if this is just an advanced simulation, is dying a thing? I look down at my missing leg, feeling phantom pains in my toes. A thought occurs to me. Maybe dying is like a reset. Game over, try again kind of deal. 
If this is a simulation about surviving alien abduction, then it makes sense for death to be the off switch. I squeeze my eyes shut, grit my teeth, and wait for the giant game over sign flash above my head. I just wish this twisted reality didn't have to hurt so damn much. A pair of strong hands grip beneath my arms and pull me up, supporting most of my weight as I stand weakly on one leg. I look into his face. It's the guy with the spear. He nods, reassuringly. The firm droids come to a halt 20 feet away. Fire! Ira shouts, shooting her own plasma rifle. The bearded man steps forward, his magical sword shielding us behind a blanket of glowing white energy. Eventually, seeing as they aren't breaking through his defense, Ira signals for them to stop. Oh, for fuck's sake! Ira says, addressing the intruders. I thought you guys were supposed to be a bunch of hippie pacifists. I come not to bring peace, the man says, swiping his blade in a wide arc. But a sword. Jesus, he's not looking so good, the other man says about me. Can we spare a few seconds to patch him up? It'll slow us down if he can't support his own weight. Have faith. Have I ever led you astray? His friend laughs. I <laughs> know, but you do have a flair for dramatic. The bearded man grins and says, <laughs> I work in mysterious ways. Then charges forward with a cry, brandishing his sword, intending on challenging Ira and her squad all on his own. He projects another force field to deflect oncoming shots. His friend sighs. Ah, he'll never change. Who are you guys? I ask. Why are you helping me? You have information resistance needs. We've been tasked with extracting you from firm's grasp and bringing you to safety. Me? I say, not liking the idea of being a person of interest. But I don't know anything. Shots fire past our heads as the bearded man fights like a whirlwind, deflecting attacks using a combination of steel and whatever that white energy is. It looks like magic, but I know there's got to be some sort of science behind it. Still, despite his abilities, he's no match against that many foes. Ira swings her rifle like a club, using her massive size and strength to keep pressure while the firm droids continue firing. He's good, dodging at just the right moment, moving with what seems supernatural precognition, but he can't keep it up forever. Ira just needs one good shot, and it's over. I look to where Tick lay strapped inside her pod with a smaller sized black helmet over her head. I raise an arm weakly and point at her. We need to get her out of there. The dude holding me shakes his head. There's no time. Please, she's a friend. And I have a feeling we could use her right about now. She can help. He looks her over, unsure. But when we hear a grunt of pain from his friend, his hesitation disappears and he drags me over to where Tick rests. I hope you're right about this, he says, lowering me and propping me up against the pod before unhooking her from the machine. As soon as he removes her helmet, she springs to life, landing on the floor next to me, causing him to step back in surprise. Where am I? She says, little spike clubs growing from her body. She looks at me, two big eyes and a mouth with sharp teeth forming where her face should be. Who are you? I lean away from the spike she points in my direction. Tick, it's me, Jack. You're experiencing temporary amnesia. The same thing happened to me. We've been taken captive by the firm. The what? She looks at our surroundings, then goes suddenly rigid. Jack! 
The last thing I remember is being covered in darts that made me feel sleepy. Well, you know, that's not right. I was only my brother, and he made me eat some bad fruit. Oh my god, Jack. None of this is real. It's just a dream. I'm sorry to break it to you, but you're only a figment of my imagination. Oh, and I'm sorry about your butthole. No, that can't be right. I say, a sinking feeling forming inside me. This is my simulation. Tick's the one who isn't real, not me. Tick, this isn't a dream. We're in a simulated reality based on alien abduction. Tick shakes her head. Um, sorry, but I'm pretty sure this is a dream. I'll probably wake up whenever. You're both wrong, but explanations will have to wait until we reach safety. The stranger says, hefting his spear. It's old and fairly plain, like something an ancient soldier would have used. I assume it's been reinforced. But our allies defending the old way we came from won't last out forever. Every wasted moment means more trouble to deal with. Now that we got you, it's time to make your escape. <sighs> I realize I'm not going to convince the NPCs of this simulation that they aren't real. This is their reality. It's programmed into them. What I need is to get my hands on another black helmet and get the fuck out of here. I don't care what Tick says. It's just a simulation trying to fuck with me. I'm not falling for it. The problem is, I'm too weak in my current condition to do anything on my own. I need to get them to bring me close enough to one somehow. The sound of battle rages on. Beyond the smoke and fire, Ira commands her unit effectively and strategically, guiding their assault as to not give their opponent a chance to attack. All the same, my mind is blown by the swordsman's ability to hold back an entire squad on his own. That's some serious skill. Still, he needs a distraction. Something to throw off the heat long enough to make an escape. Listen, uh, I say, raising my eyebrows, non-verbally fishing for the guy's name. Tom? He says. Well, that's an awfully ordinary name for a place like this. Okay, Tom, what if we free some of these guys? I say, nodding at the array of unconscious aliens. If they're here against their will... I can't imagine they'll be thrilled to see Shark Bitch over there. He could buy us the time we need to escape. He nods, mulling over the idea. Ooh, it could be risky if they choose to turn on us. Until their memory returns, they won't know the difference between friend or foe. Even then, who's to say they wouldn't attack us anyway? We could be setting ourselves up for failure. I don't fucking care, I think. I just want out of this. Oh, oh! Tick says, hopping up and down excitedly. Tick could likely kill the whole lot of them on her own, but I need one of those helmets. No, I need you to help carry me. It's the least you could do after the unspeakable things you put my body through. We have to wake up the others. Can you help moving? Tom asks Tick. In response, Tick's small form turns purple, morphing and attaching to my lower body, forming a new leg and reinforcing the other one. I now require very little effort to stand. It's like having bio-powered pants. A small head with two eyes and a mouth forms where a belt buckle would go. Does this make his butt look big? She asks. Before Tom can say anything, I run to the nearest pod. I'll wake this one. He nods and moves over to the next. The alien in this pod is covered in pink scales and built like a caricature of a lumberjack. Thankfully, the helmet looks like it should fit me. I hope this works. I remove the device from the alien's head and hold it close to my chest. 
like Ira, its face is that of a predatory fish. Solid white eyes snap open. Lips curl to reveal rows of piranha-like teeth. Why does it have to be another goddamn fish? A heavy-scaled foot slams into the helmet in my hands and crushes it against my chest, lodging shards of metal and glass into my flesh, threatening to send me hurtling backwards. No! I think, looking at the broken helmet. Not again! With Tick supporting my legs, she manages to keep me upright. But holy fuck, did that ever hurt? I gasped for breath. It completely knocked the wind from me. Guess Tom was right. Now it's time to put the legs to use and kick some ass. Tick says. Beyond my control, but without the parasitic tingle, my legs push me into a jumping roundhouse kick that connects with the side of the alien's head. His sense stumbling sideways into Tom, who's fighting a goblin-sized problem of his own. Eesh, I guess it really was a bad idea after all. Now we're fighting off two rabid aliens while his friend keeps Ira and her squad busy. Oh, if I don't get out of this simulated shit show soon, we're all gonna die. Would that be so bad? Is death of any consequence if none of this is real? They're just computer-generated AI, right? Technological manifestations. A soulless bunch of ones and zeros. Once I'm out of this equation, this whole thing resets. I won't be remembered. But, and this is a big fucking but, can I bring myself to do it? What if there's something to what Tick said? If she had a similar experience as my own, and now believes this is all part of a dream she's having? Then what if that helmet just messes with our heads? Some twisted way of digging into a person's psyche while shattering it in the process. But what if it's not? Fuck! It's enough to make a person go crazy! Jesus! Tom shouts, using his spear to push the pink and green aliens into the firm droid's direction. The guy with the sword spares a moment to look back, but it's all the time Ira needs to land a crushing blow to his face. He stumbles back, but recovers quickly, never breaking his ethereal shield. As the green goblin alien Tom released is pushed into him, he spins around and swings the bastard with a judo throw into the firing firm droids. The poor thing was shot dead before crashing into them. Piranha Face lunges to bite him next, but is also caught and thrown into Ira, who catches and breaks his back over her knee. The dead body falls limply to the floor. With enough of the firm droids temporarily distracted, the swordman shouts for us to fall back. The smoke from the blast has mostly cleared, revealing a clear path to the exit, minus the scattered firm droid remains strewn about. As we run, my legs empowered by Tick, I hear an extra set of thundering footsteps gaining ground behind us. There's a mutant shark ready to rip us to bits, and like an idiot, all I can think of is the Jaws theme song. Moments before reaching the door, a familiar shape steps into it. It's the Cyclops who chased me and Mendax through town when we first entered the Dominion. He steps through and charges forward, running straight past us and unsheathing his massive sword from his back, bellowing a battle cry. Okay, I have no fucking idea what's going on anymore. But as long as that laser-eyed Hulk isn't chopping me to pieces, I'm cool with that. Ira returns the cry with a savage roar of her own with four firm droids backing her. For a minute, it looks like she's ready to face his giant blade without a weapon of her own. 
But as the Cyclops raises his sword, Ira grabs the firm droids on each side of her and uses them to sandwich his head. Rocked, he stumbles back and falls to one knee. Ira doesn't hesitate and grabs the last two remaining droids, using them like clubs to pummel him to the ground. You should know what the firm does to deserters. You have some nerve coming back here, she says, pressing her boot to his neck. Fuck the firm, the Cyclops growls. Tom throws his spear. The tip pierces Ira's right eye. She howls in agony, grasping at the shaft. With a roar, she dislodges the weapon, a bloody black orb trailing it. Tom grunts with a pained expression as she tosses the spear away behind her like he's losing something precious. The Cyclops capitalizes on the opportunity, grabbing his sword and rising to take a swing. She manages to dodge his first blow, but then he gives her a spinning elbow to her injured eye. She covers the injury with a hand and roars. She keeps getting angrier, and each burst of rage seems to dull her pain, or at least allow her to ignore it. I don't have a good feeling about this outcome. Brom, dear. The swordsman calls out, shaking his head. Time is short. That's right! Run away! Ira growls, still clutching her eye. It wouldn't be the first time, you spineless traitor. Maybe I should drag your pitiful family from quarantine and make an example of them. This seems to trigger the Cyclops, who stomps his right foot, leans in, and roars furiously at her. I'm beginning to sense he has history with Sharkface. She said he deserted. Was he one of them? Why else would his family be kept detained? There's some bad blood here. Shit, Tom says. He's beginning to rage. Brom, dear. The swordsman shouts. Our window of opportunity is closing fast. You can satisfy your anger now in this moment and die. Or live to fight again and save your family. Bromdeer hesitates, then growls and comes back running. No, no, no! I need to get my hands on another helmet! I can't leave without it and risk being stuck in this simulation. If this is what it is... As the Cyclops makes his way back... I make a quick attempt at reaching the nearest pod. I take three steps before my legs stop in place. What are you doing? Tick asks. I can't leave without a helmet, I say. You have to put whatever you saw in there behind you, Tom says. It weren't real. I struggle against Tick. I feel nearly hysterical. I'm so close. I'm so fucking close. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm lifted off the floor by a pair of strong arms and thrown over the Cyclops' shoulder. Tick shifts her face over to my left butt cheek. We have people outside waiting to extract us, Bromdeer says. Each wasted moment only puts us at greater risk. You'll get over this. Despite my protests, everyone runs through the damaged door into the wide hallway beyond, leaving behind Ira's booming roars, only to be greeted by a unit of firm droids standing over a trio of dead humanoid turtles. They've been shot in the head. No! Tom says. Bromdeer drops me and howls at the sight of his dead companions. Tick writes me as I fall to land on my feet. Foot. Uh, whatever. It, what matters is that I'm right side up and witnessing a raging cyclops turn firm droids into a pile of junk. Once finished, he heaves with strained breath. Bromdeer. It's all right, the swordsman says, pointing to the fallen. Look. Suddenly, slowly, their slain companions begin to stir. 
Their wounded bodies mend themselves, all trauma erased. When they open their eyes and stand, I can hardly believe it. They peer at themselves like they can't believe it either. Holy shit, I say. I just witnessed a resurrection. Bromdeer's rage turns to joy as he offers his comrades an affectionate grasp of their shoulders. The swordsman smiles at me and winks. Show off, Tom says behind a wry smile. What am I missing here? How much time are we working with? Tom asks the newly risen mutant turtles. Three minutes till flyby, one of them says. Okay, we need to get to the roof and all them off until extraction. Go, the swordsman says. I'll buy us the time we need. Always the hero, Tom says. Even you have your limits, old man, considering it only took a handful of my people to crucify you. My head snaps towards the bearded swordsman, realization dawning on me. I don't believe it. It can't be. This guy, he did bring those turtles back to life. Jesus Christ, I say, stunned. He smiles and nods, then says to Tom, A good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. No fucking way, I say, but am ignored. Why must you always be one to sacrifice yourself, Tom says. After all this time, and still such little faith, Jesus says, I have no intentions of sacrificing myself today. You can't be fucking serious, I say, still stuck on the fact that Jesus Christ saved me. I can help. Tick chimes in. Oh, please let me help. I want to eat through her other eye and come out of her belly button. She melts away and once again reforms into her new toddler-sized self, leaving me to sit on the floor. She backflips into a fighting pose, sharp claws growing from her body. Her whole face opens wide to reveal multiple rows of jagged teeth, ready to latch on and leech the life out of someone. It's fucking creepy. Cool, says one of the turtles. Now that I'm without her support, I feel like I could collapse. My body's been through more than what's physically possible. But then, Jesus kneels down next to me, placing a small vial of dark red liquid to my lips. Drink this. He says, encouragingly. It'll heal you. What is it? I ask. My blood. Okay, this is starting to get out of hand. Do you really expect me to drink the supposed blood of Jesus? You're pretty awesome, don't get me wrong, but come on. The Son of God? Jesus Christ of the Bible. You're either full of shit, or I am in a simulation. I get it, Tom says. It's a tough pill to swallow. Unfortunately, there's no time for convincing. All I ask is you cooperate, knowing all will be revealed in time. Two minutes, another of the turtles say. Ira is heard angrily shouting from the other (sighs) end. She's on the move again. (sighs) I drink the Kool-Aid. Not bad. All of a sudden, a sense of rejuvenation washes over me, and all my fatigues, aches, and pains fade away. My ass stops hurting, too. I suddenly feel more alert. Like I've been shot with adrenaline. Although my leg hasn't regrown, the crushing despair is lifted, leaving me with a sense of optimism I didn't think possible after what I've been through. Hot damn, I say. What's in that stuff? Don't be late, Tom says to Tick and Jesus, then motions for the rest of us to take the stairwell up to the top. Bromdeer hoists me up over his shoulder once more. All right, little one, Jesus says. 
take up your cross and follow me. Finally! <laughs> Tick says, following him while laughing maniacally. Let's go! Tom says, leading us through a door and up the stairwell. Alarms continue to blare as we make our escape. The entire place is going ballistic. When we break out onto a roof, we find ourselves atop a towering building within the Dominion. Off in the distance, I can see the spiral pyramid I first entered through after docking. The city below is as busy as ever, oblivious to our plight. Now what? I ask. There's nothing here. We're trapped. Not quite, Tom says, pointing to the sky. I squint, craning my neck around the big cyclops for a better look. A flock of whale-sized Canadian geese soar through the sky, outfitted with a cargo bay attached to their backs. One of them begins going off course, veering in our direction. It honks madly. Giant murder chickens, I say. We paid a high price to have that bird throw a tantrum in our direction. Its handler were a difficult one to bribe, Tom says. Bromdeer grunts disapprovingly. He apparently has issues with the arrangement. Our one-eyed friend here thinks we overpaid, Tom says. But finding someone willing to risk the heavy hand at firm doesn't come cheap. They'll need something to fall back on if the firm chooses to act against them. This entire mission required precise and careful planning. Could've at least let me muscle down the price a bit, Bromdeer says. Our funds took a hit. Get ready to jump, says one of the turtles. The giant goose bucks and honks, flapping its wings wildly. But then, Moments before reaching the rooftop, it settles down and is on course to glide right past us. A large hatch opens up on top of the cargo bay. Tick and Jesus are still down there, I say, concerned. They'll make it, Tom says, but I can see it worries him too. Now, Bromdeer shouts. Holding hands, all three of the turtles jump as one from the ledge, followed by Tom, then Bromdeer and me. I can't help it and scream. We all land with a thud on top of the big wooden boxes inside the cargo bay opening. I groan, but I'm grateful for the healing powers of the blood of Jesus. I fail to keep a straight face. Listen to me. It's insane. Outside, we hear the shattering of glass. Then, just as the ceiling hatch begins to close, Jesus swings inside holding on to Tick like a rope. Each of them lands gracefully onto their feet. Tick says with her arms out. Oh, you made it, I say, relieved. You had me worried. Did you get her other eye? No. Oh, but I did get a tooth. She spits out a big shark tooth into her hand and sticks it to her forehead. I'm a unicorn. I laugh my ass off. Maybe from the sight of her, maybe at how ridiculous my situation has become. I don't know. But I laugh until I cry and then some. The turtles laugh along with me. When the giant goose eventually makes landing, an orange cat wearing a brown vest, a beat-up cap, and smoking a cigarette opens a door at the back. She's built exactly like a house cat, but walks upright on two legs. I knew this was a mistake, she says, her ears laid back. Now I'm going to have the firm stuck to my ass like clumps of litter. I don't know why I ever agreed to help you assholes. Maybe it was the mountain of cash you squeezed out of us, Bromdeer says. Fuck your money, she hisses. She takes a drag of her cigarette. Why do I always do this to myself? What was I thinking? 
They even suspect I was in on it. Those bastards will make sure I never fly in this town again. Thank you, Lemon. Jesus says, kneeling down to her level. You have done us a great service. The cat visibly softens. Oh, oh, well, all right, I guess. But listen, you gotta be getting out of here and I best not be seeing your faces again. I parked the goose at the back of the lot. So jump the fence on the left and don't be seen. All I know is my goose went haywire and some assholes took advantage of the situation and hopped on. The fucking cunts even attacked me as they escaped. She looks at us sourly. So, let's get on with it. Bromdeer cracks his knuckles and smiles wide, eager to oblige. Twelve. It's been a full day and night cycle since escaping the firm. After Bromdeer happily punted Lemon into a wall, we made our way to the Resistance safe house located beneath a robotics shop. It's run by a chubby blue bird named Junko. He's about knee height and equipped with cybernetic upgrades. He even hops around like a cute little bird and everything. It's freaking adorable. But I wouldn't say that to his face. He's pretty cranky. I think the stress of harboring state-designated terrorists weighs on him. The basement hideout is what you would expect for a robotic storage space. It's mostly one large room with two smaller ones in the back. There's heaps of metals, wires, tools, and junk everywhere. The Resistance did decent work cleaning it up to look like a passable base of command. Jesus doesn't seem bothered by the arrangements either. Go figure for a dude born in a manger. Since arriving, I learned that Jesus isn't the leader of the group like I assumed. It's led by a hermaphrodite slug person named Belvedere. Cool guy, or gal, depending on what day it is. He's a scientist, apparently. Talks a lot of smart stuff is all I know. He's also got this little robot that follows him around, cleaning up the mucus he trails behind. Apparently, Jesus was passing through when he and Tom were recruited into the cause. Which, I learned, happens to be rescuing people from the grip of the firm. Nearly everyone here has a friend or family member they feel are being wrongfully held against their will, kept quarantined inside a spacecraft outside the Dominion. It's the firm's method of choice for halting the spread of the virus. It's good for the economy. Sounds awful. I was questioned soon after arriving about my involvement in all this. I spilled my guts, explaining how I'm simply a victim of circumstance. Not everyone believed me at first, but thankfully, they consider Jesus a living lie detector, and he accepts my story. That's why Bromdeer followed me before. I was spotted leaving their ship. I wish I would have known. Could have avoided so much PTSD. The Resistance also has its resident tech expert, Dina. She looks like a basketball-sized yellow beetle thing. She has to wear a glass dome with artificial air simulating her home planet's atmosphere. I've been told she and Junko started working on a prosthesis for my missing leg, which is pretty cool of them. Bromdeer remains a mystery. He's not the talkative sort. I still don't know what I'm doing here or why I merited a rescue team. All I'm told is answers will come in time. I'm to make myself comfortable until then. Easier said than done, but it's better than being back in the pens. Superbia was a piece of shit. I'm glad he got his head bit off. Speaking of shits, I think Tick is getting bigger. 
Apparently, she had broken into a casket last night and ate part of a corpse. Some dead resistance fighter. She's about a foot taller and wider than before. Belvedere suspects the leech body she's inhabiting will continue to grow each time she consumes flesh. At least, that's the hypothesis. This species of leech aren't meant to survive this long. They're breaking new scientific ground, and judging by his neck, Belvedere's creaming himself. At least Tom, who I learned is the disciple Thomas from the fucking Bible, sipping on Jesus' blood to keep himself living past his expiry date, came by earlier this morning to my little nook to clear up the Jesus mystery. Thank God we're a small G, Tom said. He's from a race of ancient aliens known as the Yahweh. They become virtually immortal by being injected with highly advanced nanobots upon birth that continually repair every cell of their body on a molecular level. He can even die and rise again. There's true healing in the blood of Jesus. This type of technology is simply unheard of. And unfortunately, being among the last of his species, this knowledge has been long since lost. Why? What happened? I asked. I'd like an answer to that one too. All I'm told is their planet experienced an extinction-level event. Jesus were a boy when it happened. He was off-planet with his aunt. No one knows the exact number that survived, but as far as we know, their ancient technology died with a planet. Jesus, in his long life, has travelled the universe to spread a message of unity. He's dedicated his life to bringing peace and hope to the downtrodden. If he's an ancient alien, then why do we look alike? I believe you call it panspermia. The universe is bigger than you can possibly imagine. The amount of planets with people that look exactly like us are astronomical. He brings his message to all, however, never discriminating against those who would hear it. What about the virgin birth? That was bullshit, wasn't it? Makes for a good story, though. A lot of them are embellishments. I was the sole disciple to doubt his divinity, though I was nearly fooled by the resurrection. But for whatever reason, he chose to reveal the truth to me. He may not be God, but he's a good man. I've been by his side ever since, kept alive by the healing powers of his blood. Son of a bitch. So one of the biggest religions on earth is built off a lie. All those folks pushing the ancient aliens theories were right all along. What about the other religions? Are their gods fake too? Most of them aren't real, but a few are. Boulder's a nice guy. Man, the people who created this simulation really thought of everything. Tom looked at me sadly. Jack, this is real. If you say so, I said with an exaggerated wink. You are not part of a simulated reality. Whatever you say, guy. I jokingly ribbed him with an elbow. I'm not blind to the fact that in your mind, I could be the system AI trying to sell you on the experience. That's part of the danger. Many have come to unfortunate ends looking for a way out. Sometimes they take innocent lives with them. But I seen my sister, I said, suddenly serious. I was home. I spent days there. It all just fit too perfectly. The pity on Tom's face deepened. I hated it. It's an insidious device, he said. Your unusual friend is experiencing the same. Although, for the time being, she's taking it rather well. She thinks it's fun. Still, I'm concerned about what happens when she feels she's had enough. A lot of people could get hurt. Knowing what Tick is capable of, it's an unpleasant thought. Should I care? God damn it! This is exactly what Tom's talking about! The fucking head games, the idea keeps playing with me. 
I've shot and sliced down more video game enemies in my life than I can count. Their deaths mean nothing to me. If I truly believe I'm living in a simulation right now, then why don't I go Rambo on this place and get it over with? Because what if I'm wrong? What if, by some small chance, all these unbelievable series of events are actually happening to me? Right now. The universe is a big place. Earth can't have a monopoly on intelligent life. That tiny seed of doubt is all it takes to hold me hostage. I'm worried I might go crazy. I spent the day thinking on this. Thankfully, with the hideout beginning to see more activity, it looks like a meeting is soon to be held. Hopefully I get some answers. By evening, all who are involved with the resistance have arrived. This includes Bromdeer, Jesus, Tom, Dina, Junko, Tick, the Turtle Trio whose names are Clask, Puck, and Chup, a big creepy grandma head with spider legs named Triss, and lastly, Belvedere, who stands before the group behind a long table projecting a holographic map of the area. Thank you all for coming, Belvedere says. His eye stalks slowly drift from side to side. We have much to discuss. As you all know, our mission to retrieve the Wallace blood from Earth has failed. Everyone glances at me, making me feel distinctly uncomfortable. I struggle against the urge to apologize, Canadian to the core. Belvedere pauses, clearing his throat. Whatever he's about to say appears to be painful. <clears throat> and, unfortunately... Royd and Phineas are no longer with us. Pained expressions cross everyone's faces. These guys must have been involved with the mission to Earth. Which means, one of those names must have belonged to Fishface. Whose head I smashed in? Fuck. I won't bother mentioning that bit. Where did they go? Tick asks innocently. She still got the shark tooth stuck to her forehead unicorn style. Everyone shuffles awkwardly in place. I shake my head and say, they died. Let's wait until the end to ask questions, yeah? Belvedere clears his throat and continues. <coughs> yes, unfortunately so. When communications with the ship failed, we had Bromdeer posted to wait its return. When it did, he investigated the vessel before pursuing the human, Jack. Both Phineas and Royd were victims of homicide. Where are the bodies? Tom asks. Their families will want to mourn them. Jesus nods his agreement. Phineas is being kept boxed up in a room. Or, more accurately... Belvedere's eye stalks pointedly stare at Tick. What's left of him? He pauses, then adds, Roy's body is missing. When Triss speaks, her raspy voice like that of a seven-year-old chain smoker, I fail to suppress a shiver. I've been avoiding looking at her. She's a giant spider-legged head for Pete's sake. Do I have to say more? But you said they were both murdered. How would you know that if there isn't a body to confirm? Because we also found a bloated Froglodyte corpse, Bromdeer says. 
If those bastards are involved, then Royd's as good as dead. We've been compromised? Junko growls, his eyes knit with anger and concern. He's got a surprisingly gravelly voice. Regretfully, yes. Belvedere says. But to what extent? We know only that a froglodite stole Royd's identity and sabotaged the mission. We also learned from Jack that he escaped death by uploading his consciousness into a wristwatch. It was last seen within the arena before being confiscated. My stomach twists with the realization. Mendax was a spy? Who's responsible for this? Was it the firm? Chup asks. A reasonable guess, but no. Belvedere says. This leads us to our next issue. He pauses, taps on a virtual keyboard, and brings up text images on a holographic screen with a photo of the doctor I saw being interviewed on TV. Dina was able to intercept communications between Dr. Fatza and a mystery person. These documents reveal that the critical compound Dr. Fatza claims is required to formulate a vaccine, walrus blood, is a hoax. The C-virus is not as deadly as they report. He was bribed to lie to the media, to cause widespread fear and panic among society in a bid to force the firm to quarantine the sick. But for what purpose? We're working towards an answer. The room breaks out in angry murmurs. Bromdeer scowls, cracking his knuckles. Rap bastards are using our families as political chess pieces. I take a moment to put things together. If I'm following this, it means Mendax wasn't who I thought he was. The pilot was supposed to be someone named Royd. Except, Mendax, who is apparently a shape-shifting frog person, was hired by an unknown entity to sabotage their mission. What bothers me about this is I've seen this transformation before inside the arena when Poppy held up Mendax's watch and changed into a frog before disappearing from view. Could they somehow be working together? Have I been played? The betrayal stings. I'm pissed. I thought he was trying to help me, but I'd been manipulated all along. He convinced me to run away from Bromdeer. Had I taken him to the Renardroid, he probably would have killed me afterwards. I share this information with the group. Triss bursts out laughing. Superbia! That cock-headed dandelion was betrayed from the inside! She really seems to enjoy that. If they manage to infiltrate the likes of Superbia, it means we're dealing with more than just low-level thugs. Bromdeer says. Agreed. There is more at play here than anyone could have guessed. Belvedere says. So... Jesus says, stepping forward. What's the plan? In response, Belvenir nods to Dina. She waddles into one of the back rooms and returns carrying a drone in the shape of a bumblebee. She taps a button on its head and a video is cast onto the virtual screen. 
The video begins with a large crowd protesting in front of a government building. The streets are blocked with people carrying signs declaring their anger, while more raise their fists and voices in defiance. Rows of armed guards wearing Ira's insignia block access to the stairway leading up to the building, headed by none other than Shark Bitch herself, who smiles as she backhands a mouthy protester. Still has all her teeth, too. This must have taken place before Tick became a unicorn. A woman with green reptilian features, dressed in a sharp suit, stands behind a podium at the top of the stairs. Another more curvaceous woman with red reptilian features stands next to her, wearing a dignified red dress. The green one looks like she's ending a speech. Wish I could make out what she's saying. Since they're flanked by 12 firm droids, I assume they work for the firm. She smiles and waves. The people actually cheer, which I find unexpected. I thought they hated the firm. Tom notices my confusion, leans in and says, That's Nvidia and Luxuria, both ahead of the firm, of which there are seven. Who are the seven, I ask? There is Nvidia, Otio, Luxuria, Superbia, Ira, Gula and Avarus at their head. Each are responsible for different aspects of the Dominion, but two are dead and it appears there's been some infighting. Nvidia and Luxuria have come out against the quarantine in solidarity with the people, which must infuriate Avarus considering they're his sisters. Though rumours say they often butt heads. A nod. Oh, makes sense now. Thanks. The Resistance don't believe her motives are pure, however. If she's involved, there's more to the story than we're aware of. The pair are escorted through the crowd to where a limousine is parked outside the protest zone. The drone follows them from a safe distance. Belvedere pauses the recording the moment they open the vehicle door. The camera zooms in on a female froglodyte and an armored shadowed figure waiting inside. Who are they? Triss asks. Belvedere looks to Jesus. That question is our next mission. Everything we know points back to this mystery person. Froglodyte spies, a manufactured epidemic, and the firm's inhumane quarantine. Somehow, these two are at the center of it all. Discovering their identity is another crucial step in ending this madness. Approaching NVIDIA for information would be suicide, Bromdeer says. They'd see us coming a mile away. We're designated terrorists now. Every security droid in the Dominion will be on high alert. Belvedere nods in agreement. Which leaves us with Dr. Fatsa. We know he's been paid to lie to the media about the severity of the C-Virus. We need to know why and who put him up to it. Jesus, I think. What have I gotten myself into now? I see Jesus looking at me from the corner of my eye and wonder if he heard that. Either way, I breathe a sigh of relief knowing I'll likely get to sit this one out because of my missing leg. Can't imagine what good I would be to them like this. Thank you for listening to the full cast audiobook presentation of Dominion. Featuring the voices of Cassandra Haswell as Ira. Gethin Hughes as Avarice, Shannon Velasco 
as Sarah. Spawn of Nemo as Chris. Tyler Hansen as Jesse. Nick Green as Jesus Christ. John Kennard as Disciple Thomas. Raquel Hayes as Tick. Adam Gabriel Beebe as Bromdeer. Holly Harris as Lemon. James Lawrence as Belvedere. And finally me as Jack. Part 4 coming soon.